We are currently, as we are studying through the book of Colossians, in the midst of looking how Christ, how the gospel, the message and the implications of Jesus' perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection, which thereby enables God to give us Jesus' righteousness, how all of that impacts our relationships. And I want to mention this statement that I mentioned last week once again as we have moved in the book of Colossians from looking at a cosmic scope, not just an earthly scope, but a cosmic scope at the greatness of Jesus that he is sovereign Lord over all, everything he has created. We now narrow that down into looking at our very relationships, the people that we live with every day, that he is to be Lord even of those things. And as Kent Hughes makes the comment, he says, we move from the religion of the universe to the religion of the kitchen and the bedroom. Since Christ is the fullness of the universe, he must also be the source of fullness in the home. Is Jesus Lord of your home? Whether you are single, whether you are married, whatever your status is, is Jesus Lord of your home? Is Jesus the focal point of your interactions, whether it be with your spouse, with your parents, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your friends, wherever it is and whatever it is, whoever it is, are you living out of the fullness of Christ? What a shame it is to have a head full of doctrine, of biblical truth, but then fail to live out that biblical truth in our relationships. We're going to continue looking at this marriage relationship today, this morning, and we saw last week, verse 18, let's read it again, follow along with me. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. And last week, we talked about what submission means, what it looks like. Submission is a heart attitude that overflows into the actions of voluntarily putting yourself under the authority and the leadership of another. This is something that we are all called to do in the Christian life. And one implication of submission for the marriage relationship is for the wife to put herself under submission to the leadership of her husband. It says in the text that this is fitting in the Lord. Just as God the Son submitted to the will of the Father in the plan of redemption and said, Thy will be done. And it was pleasing to Jesus to do the will of the Father. This was not a begrudging thing. So, wives are to submit 
to their husbands. And we talked about that that does not mean a woman is of less value. That does not mean that a woman is a doormat. That does not mean a woman is a yes woman, that yes, Lord, whatever you say type of mentality. But it is a I will submit to the leadership of my husband. And before husbands can be too proud to think, yeah, wife, that's what you need to do, we come to verse 19. Let's read that together. Um, just follow along. Not out, you don't have to read this out loud with me. But follow along. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives. And not only does he stop, he doesn't stop there, but he adds another little kicker that's really convicting. And do not be harsh with them. That's what uh, the ESV says. Your version may say something differently. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And what we are again, the key point that we are again going to come back to, and again, I'm going to have you read this with me. Uh, actually, you don't have anything up there, do you? <laughs> Let me say it, and you can, you can repeat it. We have to understand this, and guys, we are going to um, experience this morning the convicting power of the law of Christ as we see Jesus as our example of what it means to love. And whether you're a man here or you're a woman here and you're, you're, you're a spouse or whether you are looking at how am I submitting to my employers? How am I submitting to my parents? How am I uh, in my relationships? Am I, am I showing a Christ-like love in my relationships? This is what we're going to have to keep in mind. The key to this whole thing is the fact that only the gospel can transform my relationships. So let's say that together. Only the gospel can transform my relationships. Let's say it again. Only the gospel can transform my relationships. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we just uh, kind of theoretically, like a formula, say only the gospel can transform my relationships? So let's get this, let's sink this, the word, let's copy of the word of God into my heart. No, the power of the gospel. Realizing the love that Jesus has given you Asking the Holy Spirit to produce in your heart a longing and a dependence upon that gospel, just as you could never do anything to earn your salvation, so you cannot do anything to merit favor or a approval in your Christian life in the strength of yourself. That you must humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your love and your strength to flow through me because I'm helpless without you. See, we have a lot of relational books in the Christian bookstore or on Amazon. And so many of them focus on what you need to do to have a better you fill in the blank a better relationship, a better sex life, a better this, a better that. But one thing that's missing is how does the gospel transform my relationships? So we are going to once again look at the marital relationship. 
And verse 19 talks about husbands. And what we first see in verse 19 is a call to love. If you're a husband this morning, you are given a call to love. If you are a teenager this morning and you're a guy, you are given a call to love the one that God may give you. You see, in verse 18, the wife has a call to submit. In verse 19, the husband has a call to love. And what we have to see is that this is a unique call. Now last week we looked at this call to submission and we've seen throughout Scripture that this is not a unique call in Scripture. Because where you see the Bible talk about relationships, it talks about this call for the wife to, to submit in a godly submission. Like we talked about last week. Like Rachel shared with, with um, the ladies here. That, that w- what is submission? But there is a unique call in our culture for men to truly love their wives. We've seen all too frequently on the media the types of attitudes that men have towards women, haven't we? This is a unique call for the Christian brother to love his wife. I like what one individual says. He says this, such a command... Speaking of culture and speaking back to when this was written in the first century, such a command to love your wives does not appear in any of the extra-biblical household rules of the day. Now there's a call in extra-biblical written household rules in the the Greco-Roman first century culture of how women were to act towards their husband. But this is unique in the Scriptures. For the Scriptures to say, hey men, there's also in the Christian life, because you are a part of the new creation, because you, are, you have been born again in Christ, there is a way that you are to live your life. Another individual says this, The term agape, that's the the Greek word for love, an unconditional love. The, The term agape that is used here in verse 19 never occurred in secular household tables. The command, therefore, appears to be a distinctively Christian element of the marriage relationship. Again, one other quote. Uh, uh, one other individual says this, in Hellenistic discussions, and that just means the time period when the Greek culture was going throughout the world in the first century, in Hellenistic discussions of marital relationships, and get this, the focus is almost always on the rights of the husbands. According to Aristotle, who is the uh, philosopher, he says this, The male is naturally fitter to command than the female, except where there is some departure from nature. So there was a very demeaning 
outlook in the marriage relationship uh, from the secular world outside of Christianity during the day that this was written in the first century. It was kind of like, women, you better toe the line, but guys, anything goes. So if you can put your minds, and it's getting easier and easier in our culture to put our minds back into maybe a first century setting that maybe 20, 30 years ago, it it was harder to do. But if you can put your minds into that setting, and you're hearing this, the responsibility that is given to husbands is very unique. You see, this is a unique call, but it is not an unrealistic call. You see, just as we looked at some excuses that many women have to not submit to their husbands, so there are many excuses that men can give to not truly love their wives. For instance, maybe you've heard before the thought, my wife is just too hard to love. Too hard to love. But as we're going to see, if the husband's example of love is Jesus Christ... And the Bible says that Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. Then what does that do to that excuse? Many of you would say, man, my wife, she's practically my enemy. Guess what the Bible says? In fact, in Colossians, it says that we were once, 121 says, alienated and hostile in mind towards God. That has the idea that we were once, in fact, in Romans it says this, we were enemies of God. Everything that God opposed characterizes the unredeemed world. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 talks about. Even those that we highly esteem in our culture, because God's righteous standard is so high, He looks in disgust at the characterization of sin, both private and public in the life of the unredeemed. So while we were enemies, God placed His love upon us. So what does that say to our quote-unquote enemy at times? The my wife is too hard to love excuse just doesn't pull it. Many individuals will say, you know, I can't really love my wife because love is just too vague a concept. And what does it mean to love? And that, that statement is very true from a cultural perspective. People are like, love will pull us through. Love will see us through. Well, what does that mean? A, a feeling I can somehow generate is going to pull us through something? I need more than that. Because the love, the love vibe you may be giving off isn't kind of the love vibe that I'm expecting. And, and love becomes a very selfish thing. When love is vague. 
And guess what? That's why we're going to see that God makes love a very concrete thing in the Bible. And we're going to look at that. A third and final excuse that many times we will hear is, you know what? Kind of along with the lines, my, love is, my wife is too hard to love, uh, we as husbands will often say, you know what? My love will just not be received back. So why try? You know, my love is just not going to be received. Why even try? And again, we see the example of Christ. So as we come to this term love, we have to kind of define love. And where do we define love? We have to define love through the Scriptures, not from what culture says, not from what individuals may say, not from a feeling that we may possess. So if you have your finger in Ephesians 5, let us turn there. You see, we do not define love as husbands. And we do not define love as wives. And we do not define love as children or as friends or as co-workers uh, or just as in any relationship. We do not define love simply by a definition. We define love by a person. And that person is Jesus. Now we've already looked at verses 22 to 24, let's just read those by way of review to get into the flow of, of this passage. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And here is where we come now to the husband, lest the husband becomes filled with pride here. Husbands, love your wives. We just read that command in Colossians, but it goes on in more detail. How do we love our wives? What's the definition of love? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ouch! That's the definition of love? Not just to hold the door open for my wife so that she can go in the car? Not just to offer her, I mean, this is true love, to offer her a bite of my bacon cheeseburger? Even when she said she didn't want it, anything in the drive-thru? Man, the definition of love is to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how is love described in the Bible for a husband to the wife? It's first of all described as a love that is sacrificial. A love that is sacrificial. How did Christ sacrifice for his bride? He gave everything. If it was not enough that Jesus humbled himself and took upon himself, the Bible says, 
the form, the identity of a mere human and wrapped his divinity in human flesh and was born into this world, if that was not enough, Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of a brutal Roman cross. The most shame-filled death of the culture. The most violent, bloody, torturous death. Jesus was willing to endure for his bride. Men, that's the definition of macho. It's not how much respect can I get from everybody else and how great can people know that I am. No, you see, true greatness from the Bible's perspective is found in humility. What was the pathway to the crown for Jesus? He says, here is how the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will die on a cross. And John uses that term throughout the book of John in a double, in a double sense. Lifted up, meaning lifted up high on the cross, but also lifted up in the, His way to be exalted at the right hand of God as King of the universe, as we've read in Colossians was through being lifted up on that cross. Men, instead of trying to find your identity in your job, instead of trying to find your identity and getting the respect that you feel you deserve, maybe you need to find your identity in Christ and follow His pattern of sacrificial love. When was the last time you've sacrificed for your wife? We need to get real practical here. Maybe it's a sacrifice of time. You're so caught up with your work or your hobbies or your responsibilities. Maybe it's a sacrifice of priority. Your wife does not feel a priority in your life. Maybe it's a sacrifice of well-being. You need to start putting her needs above your own. Maybe it's a sacrifice simply of showing love, of having a mentality of give rather than take. I like the illustration of a bank. And we all, we just had, uh, we were out of town, but um, Debbie just led the, the financial seminar uh, 101s, but, but I, I think even if you weren't able to attend, you don't need to go to a seminar to realize that if you take out more money than you have in the bank, that that causes problems. And maybe you log in online and you see, uh-oh, there's an there's a over-withdrawal fee. But you know, we are doing that every day of our lives in our marriage, our marriages. If you ask yourself, every day of our lives as our wives or wives as your husband is serving you, that is a withdrawal from your marriage bank account. And then husband or wife, 
If you are not putting back the deposits when those withdrawals are being made, what's going to happen? If we know the result of what will happen to our physical bank account, what happens to our marital bank account? Are you asking for more withdrawals than the deposits that you're putting into that marriage bank account? Because if you are, your marriage is headed for disaster. Love is sacrificial. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The supreme example of sacrifice. Are we walking in the footsteps of Christ? Are you letting the reality of what Jesus has done for you fill your heart so that then there is the desire to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, not just because you're pursuing your wife, but you're pursuing your Lord. Just as we talked about last week, the, the wife does not ultimately submit to the will of the husband for the sake of the husband. The godly wife ultimately submits to the will of the leadership of the husband in the home for the Lord. We're short-sighted if we stop with our spouse. But the text goes on in Ephesians 5 and in verse 26, that Jesus loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Why? For this reason, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself and get these adjectives in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, how is love defined? In the person of Christ, it's defined as a love that is sacrificial. And secondly, it is a love that is after the other's ultimate good. Unless my love is after the ultimate good of Rachel, unless your love, husband, is after the ultimate good of your spouse, your love is not a Christ-like love. I hear about and many times talk to individuals that are not after the ultimate good of their spouse. Did you know, men, that giving in on an issue that is of spiritual importance and leadership in your home in giving in to your spouse and, the, and, and what they are saying when you know it is not right and you're saying, well, I just want her to be happy. Did you know that that's not love? True love is after the ultimate good of their spouse and the ultimate good can be found in the teachings and principles of Scripture. Did you know, wife, that it is not true submission to your husband to just silently let your husband just pursue all of these other things outside of Christ and say, well, guess what? 
I'm just going to stay out of it because I want to truly submit to my husband. Now, I'm not saying uh, nag, but I think there needs to be speaking truth and love there. You know, honey, I, I just... I don't feel like we're being led spiritually. I mean, um, the, the example even being set before our kids, when, when church is not a priority, when, 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 you know, serving, whatever it may be, you know, honey, this doesn't seem right. And then to say, now I'm going to step back. I've spoke truth and love and let the Holy Spirit work. I'm not going to try to be the Holy Spirit. Many times in marriages, both the husband or the wife become enablers. Just like a family member with a drug addiction, and you know, we don't want to confront the issues, so what happens? We passively sit back and we wind up being enablers to the problem. That's what happens all the time in marriages. You see, loving that is after the other's ultimate good And we see here everything that Jesus is doing in his bride, the universal church, he is doing to perfect his bride. That man, one day, that bride, both positionally in being united to Christ and also practically in its everyday living out in eternity will be a perfect bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. God is working on that trajectory. So if we are loving after, uh, for the other's ultimate good, that requires saying yes or saying no. Even when it's not easy. True leadership in the home is having the backbone, having the love, having the desire for the good of Christ to be able to say yes, both yes and no, depending on the situation when it's not easy. A love that is after the other's ultimate good requires leading your wife in the ways of godliness and growth. You see, Jesus in leading His church leads us where we would not naturally desire to go. Listen, uh, America over the past uh, 200 years has been an anomaly. It's been something unique. It's been something different. Because all throughout church history, the church has undergone persecution. And guess what? The church has flourished through persecution. Do you think we would desire that on our own? In the book of Acts, did, that, did the church ever start, start spreading before persecution? Jesus loves his bride so much he is willing to allow persecution to enter for the ultimate good of his bride. Are we men willing to lead our families for the sake of the ultimate good? Not for what's convenient, not for what's expedient, not for what's easy, but for the ultimate good. And listen, loving that is after the other person's ultimate good requires building up, not tearing down. 
How often do we tear down with our words? I have a habit many times of <laughs> missing a turn, and it's always Rachel's fault. <laughs> um, and even in the little things that, that we take for granted, are we tearing down with our words or are we building up? Are we seeking to, to come alongside our spouse and encourage them with their strengths and help them and show grace to them in their weaknesses? to see them flourish? How many a marriage can avoid divorce if we would follow the example of Christ? How many a marriage could avoid a me-centered mentality if we would but allow the gospel to fill our hearts and our minds? But the text continues in verse 28 and says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. And, and you may have a different translation than I have, the ESV, uh, but how, did, how was a husband in verse 28 to love their wives as their what? Own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. <laughs> why is that verse 29 for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church now here's something that we have to understand what does it mean for a husband to love their wife it means that we love as our own bodies. Now, we, we many times think about loving as our own bodies. You know, we get hungry. What do we do? We eat. Um, most of us don't walk around trying to, uh, like the, the Jesuits of old, the, the Catholic uh, the priest uh, uh, sect, the, the Jesuits, would go around you know, with the whips and, and with the, 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 uh, the nails and all those things. Most I haven't seen anyone doing that. Because we do love our, our bodies. We want to care for our bodies. But the illustration can't stop there, and it doesn't stop there with Paul. Because if Christ is the definition of love and what He has done is the definition of love, how did Christ love His own body? Well, if you talk about Christ's own body that He, he wrapped Himself in as He enters into this world, human flesh, Jesus, didn't, Jesus was willing to give up His own body, wasn't He? But what this text is talking about is not Jesus' own physical body. That body Jesus was willing to give away because it was, it was a, a lesser thing. He was humbling himself, putting on that body. He was nailing it to the cross. No, the body that Paul is ultimately speaking of, that we are to follow after loving our own bodies, is that Jesus loved his own body, and his own body is the church. His own body is every single believer on the face of this earth. 
And a husband, therefore, is to follow Christ's example, not just, well, how do I love myself? Well, I eat when I'm hungry, I do this, I do that. No, a husband loves uh, his wife as Jesus loves the church, which is his own body. You see, loving like Jesus loves, everything we have just read up to this point The result of that is having in the body, the body of Christ, a love in a unity. For instance, if you just flip over a couple passages and look at Colossians 2.2, what is the example of Jesus' love for the body? What is the result? We're not done in, in, in Ephesians, so uh, don't lose your place. But in Colossians 2.2, it says the body, their hearts, the body's hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Folks, if you took the first phrase out of, out of the Bible and put it on a, on a wedding card or an anniversary card, you would, you, you would maybe not even know that was in the Bible. This describes what should take place in a marriage. It's what takes place between Christ and his bride. That there are knit together hearts. There is encouragement. And as our hearts are knit together as a body in the love that comes from Christ. What's the end result of verse 2? It is spiritual growth, isn't it? Growing in the depth of our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. That is God's mystery. You see, love that is defined by Christ as a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that is after the other's ultimate good. But thirdly, we see from these verses, it is a love that has Jesus as its object. Not just the wife. Man, if I'm focused on just loving my wife, I'm going to fall short. Because as lovely as my, as my wife is, guess what? She's an imperfect person. And her faults are going to rub me the wrong way. And mine are going to rub her the wrong way. But man, a marriage is meant to have a man that is striving in the love of Christ and seeking to know God's mystery, which is Christ greater and greater. And a marriage is meant to have the wife that is striving to love Christ more and more and to unpack the riches of God's mercy, which is Jesus and everything that he's done. And, and that's a lifelong process. And we, that's why we study the scriptures, not just to have head knowledge, but to know more of what Christ has done for us, to know more of the riches of who he is. And man, when you have man and wife both striving to that, that is the recipe for a good marriage. 
all of those other things are outflows of that common purpose. And that is why if you are unmarried here and you're, you're looking and saying, God, would you reveal to me that one? Listen, if their relationship with Christ is not solid, you better run the other direction. Don't play the part of a missionary. Well, maybe my example can win them to Christ. Now, God does work through that sovereignly sometimes, but that is not the recipe that Scripture gives us. Because if that husband is not in love with Jesus and seeking after Jesus, the same guy that attracts you because of how how how, how uh, sportsmanlike he is, and, and he loves all of these things, is going to be the same spouse years down the road in your marriage as you have children that you are so troubled with because they are putting all of those things before seeking God and before seeking the family. True love has Jesus as its object. Whether you are just interacting with others on a day-to-day basis or whether you are in a marriage relationship, are you loving because Christ has loved you? Are you loving after the example of Christ. Look at what verse 31 says. All of this, and then he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quotation from Genesis. And then look at what Paul says in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, what this is telling us is that love must have as its object Jesus because even the marriage relationship, get this, even the marriage relationship is not meant to be an, a mean, uh, uh, an end in and of itself. The marriage relationship that Jesus establishes all the way back in Genesis 2 is meant throughout Scripture and throughout our existence on this earth to picture God's pursuit of a people to Himself, a bride to Himself, stemming all the way back from Adam and Eve to the last person that receives Christ on the face of this earth. It is the bride that is collected and that is matured, and marriage is to portray this ultimate purpose that God has. So if I go to the marriage uh, table, so to speak, thinking that this is all about me and my wife and the great cuddly family that we're going to have, and it's all about us, then our view of marriage is headed towards problems. Because this is meant to be something fuller, something greater. Why do you think that Jesus says that in heaven there is neither marriage nor people given in marriage? Why do you think? Because when Jesus returns for us, the 
picture of what marriage represents is now fulfilled. We are with Christ. He has his completed bride. And therefore, marriage has served its function. That is why Jesus says there's neither marriage um, uh, nor people are given in marriage in eternity. Because marriage is but a picture of a greater reality. So if Rachel and I are not set in our marriage to say, hey, we are going to serve Christ in unity together. Me as an example of Christ's leadership. My wife as an example of the church in submission yet unity. And man, we can serve Christ greater together than we could apart. And our life's goal is to therefore serve him together and raise children that can go out and serve him. Just as a church sends out those that to places they cannot go, then we have a faulty view of marriage. Maybe part of the problem is not that you just can't get to the 40th day of the love dare. Maybe that's not the ultimate problem. Maybe the ultimate problem is that the object of your love needs to be changed. It's Jesus. And just lastly, we see through the example of Christ that love, a Christ-defined love, is both intentional and incarnational. It's intentional and it's incarnational. Don't worry, if you don't know what that word means, we'll define it. Love is intentional because it sets out to do something. You can't just say, well, you know, maybe I'll show love today. It's intentional. Love is incarnational. Because just as Jesus took on flesh and came into this world and lived among us, He ate the food people ate. He experienced the trauma that people experienced to the point where the Bible says there is no temptation or no testing that has taken you, but such as is common to man. And then it says that we have Jesus who is our high priest who knows the feelings of the afflictions that we undergo because he underwent them first. You see, that's incarnational. It's living where the other person lives. And the fact of the matter, guys, we do a lousy job at living in the sphere and putting ourselves in the understanding of living where our lives live. I don't mean in the same house, but I mean we tend to take for granted you have a wife that has demands on her schedule that maybe is dealing with children, um, that has different pressures, and we never take the time to be incarnational and say, let me put my feet, so to speak, in the slippers of my spouse to greater love them to see what they are going through. Because we're caught up in our own problems. But the example of Christ 
is to be incarnational in the lives of our spouse. You may say, Pastor Adam, I still don't get it. For sake of time, you don't need to turn there, but 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, likewise husbands, listen to this, live with your wives in an understanding way. Ouch. Are you living with your wife in an understanding way? Not just to win the argument, not just to ask why isn't the house clean, not just to, to, to throw out these, these vague judgments. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Why? Because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. See, my wife, your wives, guys, your future wives, if God so permits, it's not just a little peon that, that cleans your laundry and makes sure the kids are taken care of. Your spouse is a joint heir of the inheritance that we will possess in eternity. Bible says there is neither male nor female in the new creation. We are equal. We live in an understanding way. And we don't have time to, 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 die, to get into what it means uh, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, but that does not mean that your wife is just so fragile that, you know, you got to have the, the kid gloves and can't overwhelm them. That's not what that passage is talking about. In fact, I like Jen Wilkins' illustration. She says, um, it, um, don't think that that means emotionally she is a weaker vessel. She says, you want to know one way how you can realize that? It's not just women that are dramatic and emotional. She said, just watch a guy during a football game. Guys can be just as emotional. It's just that we display it in different ways than a woman, doesn't it? Our wives are joint heirs with us in the grace of the life, eternal life that has been given. So guess what Paul says at the end of this verse that I haven't read yet? If we don't do this, it says... To, to live in an understanding way, show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are joint heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Folks, we can suffer from a distracted relationship with God as a result of the way we treat our wives. So as we close in, verse, in Colossians 2, just jumping back, We see that there is a second part to this verse. Husbands, love your wives, and guess what? Do not be harsh with them. You see, there is not only a definition of love, that definition is Christ. There's not only a call to love, but there's a warning in love not to be harsh with them. This, this word has the idea of not to allow bitterness to take root in your heart not to become embittered against them. In fact, the New American Standard Bible translated, do not be embittered against them. 
In other words, this is the exact opposite of love. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not harbor, love does not retaliate. So we are not to allow the spirit of bitterness to harvest itself in our heart, which then overflows in our words and in our actions. I would encourage you men, just as I would encourage you ladies, because love is a universal command, to mark down 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Francis Chan calls this the love test. You won't find this love test in any magazine in the grocery store rack. But you find it in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 talks about love and says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But love endures. Here's the love test. When you mark that down and when you're at home, look at that passage. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, here's your love test that you, I guarantee it, or your money back, will fail drastically. Just like I do. For every time you see the word love, replace it with your own name. And you don't need to be married to do this. Replace it with your own name and see how you fare. So I'll do this just for the beginning. Instead of love, at, I'll have Rachel uh, stand up and say how, what grade I get. Just kidding. Adam is patient and kind. Adam does not envy or boast. Adam is not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Adam bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Adam will never end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Man, that tells me that I can have all these gifts and abilities, but man, if that is not tempered and intertwined with love, everything I do is useless. As we close, I just want to leave you with a final comment from Kent Hughes. And guys, girls, men, ladies, here's where the rubber meets the road. He says this, it is unthinkably absurd for a Christian husband to demand submission of his wife if he is not radically loving her. Likewise, it is errant logic for a wife who is not submissive to demand such a love. So at your dinner time discussion, let's not poke elbows at each other. Hey, did you hear about love? Uh, you know, or hey, did you hear about that comment on submission? No, you look within yourself. Man, are you the type of person that your wife would want to submit to? Wife, 
through your submission, are you the type of woman that your husband would desire to love? And that doesn't take away that unconditional aspect that you show it even if the other person's not worthy, but if you are truly trying to have a godly marriage, you are going to look at yourself and not try to flip the mirror to the other person. Let's pray.